Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelon Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fey encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, and, and all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. Hello, humans. Let's start with my guest, Sandy Byrne. So it's not uncommon for me to talk to psychics and mediums, but there's something a little different about Sandy. She lives in Ireland and she's from Ireland, which is really cool because Ireland is so woo, right? I mean, there's so much magic in Ireland and I've never been there. It's on our list for next year, hopefully, and I hope to visit Sandy while we're there. But just in all of my witchcraft research and fairy research and, and, and a lot of it comes from Ireland. So it's a very woo-centric place. But also Sandy is one of those unique readers that started talking to people that are dead when she was really little. So it just started happening when she was a kid where so-and-so would pass and then they would be right there in her bedroom or her living room or wherever giving her a message. And Sandy kind of makes it sound like everybody has this psychic ability, which I agree with. But I do veer a little bit from what she says in, in this part one in that I do think that some people are a little bit more susceptible to being poked by dead people for lack of a better phrase. And I think Sandy's one of those people, you know, she really didn't ask for it. She does come from a line of very psychic women, which is really common. We've talked about that before on the podcast. But what interests me the most, I think, is just her accidental stumbling into becoming a psychic medium. I mean, everything about what happened to her and what she experienced, it wasn't planned. My, my brother just went off to college and he's going to be in cybersecurity. You know, he's like, I'm going to have a career in cybersecurity. There are some psychics that are like that. They're like, I'm going to be a psychic and I'm going to develop my skills, which anybody can do. But then there's also people who don't think about that at all, like Sandy, and it just falls in their lap. And the other thing that's different about Sandy is that she has won medium of the year within the whole country of Ireland. And she's very modest about this and says that it's because she did a lot of free work during the pandemic because people really, really needed it. And so it got her a lot of recognition all at once. And I think it really is her being modest. She has a wonderful presence and obviously a tremendous reputation for the kind of work that she does. I'm going to read her bio real quick, just so you can have the whole enchilada from her perspective. Coming from Ireland, regarded as the enchanted island of the mystical and magical, I am descended from generations of psychics and mediums and have been communicating with spirit since before I can remember. People seek me out for the accuracy of my readings, but also to help them develop their own ability to connect with spirit and how to deal with their children who show signs of spirit connection from a young age. I have a no-nonsense and logical approach to everything spiritual. I understand people's apprehensions and misgivings, especially as I was raised in a Catholic family and attended convent school for 13 years. 
So I have learned to marry my religious beliefs with my spiritual. That's the other thing that is really interesting about Sandy is that she is a practicing Catholic, but she's also a medium. And I don't want to give it away because we talk about this in depth, but there's usually not practicing Catholics that are stepping in so far into the land of Wu. So it's really cool how she separates Catholicism, the religion, from the Wu, the the mediumship and the psychic abilities that she has. And we talk about the relationship between Catholicism and the Wu. We also talk about what it's like to come from a family of psychics and mediums and how that helped her develop her skills We also talk about what it's like to talk to dead people and how religions are all connected and how Sandy defines evil, which is perhaps a little different than you've heard before. And we talk about how spirit saved her literal physical life, which it's an amazing story, really. Hold on to your butts. Now, this is part one of a two-part chat with Sandy. We just kept chatting and chatting and chatting, and I knew it was going to be a two-parter because there was so much good shit here. Make sure you stay tuned for part two because Sandy actually gives me a mini reading. She goes way more in depth than I anticipated. Plus, we talk about fairies from an Irish perspective and all kinds of other woo in part two. So make sure you check that out next week. Anywho... I hope you are taking good care of yourself. Spooky season is coming soon. In some areas, you can already get pumpkin spiced shit. Get that if you like that. I don't really like that stuff, but I do like everything else about spooky season. Okay, let's get into the woo with Sandy Byrne. Let's start with your woo background. I know that on the pre-call, we were like really chatty. We talked for a a long time, actually. But you mentioned that you were raised Catholic. Yeah. How did Catholicism lead into being a psychic? And just tell me how you got into the woo, basically. So I suppose I've always had the woo. (laughs) I didn't catch it. I was born with it. So yes, where I'm from was very Catholic. I mean, we're a lot more diverse now. We have a mosque and, you know, we have whatever. But in the town where I grew up, where I still live, this is where they used to train all the Catholic priests. So we have a huge college across the road from huge cathedral. And every morning you'd see hundreds of student priests processing across the street to the cathedral for morning mass, you know. So it wasn't kind of a place where you talked about seeing dead people. I do understand that I was really lucky because all the ladies in my family are psychics and mediums, you know. So I had a grandmother, she's passed obviously now, and her mother and her mother and so forth going back. They were all readers, but you didn't talk to your priest about it. Or you didn't tell them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would I, I still have my religious beliefs and I see them as very separate. I don't, I, I don't necessarily see that they come in you know, that one encroaches on the other. But I have to say that attitudes have changed over the years. A lot of people will say that the Catholic Church is very grateful for anybody that follows them now after all the scandals over the years. But at the same time, they have evolved, you know, and they're more accepting. So I would know my two local Catholic priests really well. They know what I do. 
we don't talk about it. We don't have big intellectual conversations about it. But, you know, they've let me choose my own path. And, you know, they don't try and control, I suppose, in the way that we hear that they did years ago. So to me, they've always been very different, very separate things. But I always knew not to talk about it. Children know what they can and can't talk about, don't they? They're so intuitive like that. You know, I knew I could talk about it at home, no problem. But I didn't ever talk about it in school because no child wants to be different. Every child wants to fit in with the group. They want to be part of it. So you don't talk about those things. So I've always found it very easy to marry the two, I have to say. And, you know, let's face it, right? And I'm not going to bash my own religion. But you can find an answer to anything you want to find an answer to in the Bible. You can find a quote in the Bible that will agree with everything or disagree with everything. Yeah, exactly. So, people, you know, people are always going to throw something at you. But what I found over the years is, and I won't, I won't make myself out to be a theologian or anything like that. But I spent 13 years in convent school. I know the Bible. <laughs> Okay, so, you know, I can quote the Bible as well as the next guy, but I don't feel the need to. I accept everybody the way they are. I would expect the same privilege. So I do what I do and I don't advertise. I've even stopped in the last few years putting on public shows, you know, because I always felt like I may go back to it at some stage in the future, but I always felt like I was a circus act. Because there's always people, oh, I just came, you know, for the crack. Now, <laughs> I should mention that the crack in Ireland is a very different thing to the crack in the States. <laughs> yes, what is it? Uh, <laughs> crack is fun. <laughs> oh. So when we say when we say we have the crack, so it's C-R-A-I-C. It's spelled differently as well. So the crack is the fun. So when people say they do something for the crack, they're doing it for the fun of it. <laughs> okay. Mm. I said that and then I realized what I said. <laughs> <laughs> so you're always going to get someone that says, I, I just came for the crack. I think this is all really funny. You know, I can't believe that you think you can do these things. And that's fine. But people will take what they want from life and they'll, they'll leave what they don't want. And that's the way I go through life. I don't pick up on the negativity anymore. I did a lot when I was younger. It's probably something I'm learning with age. I'm in my 40s now. So I'm much more at ease with myself than I was in my 20s and 30s. I don't want to say I don't care what other people think because what other people think, you know, it can hurt. But I, I let it affect me less. Yeah. So I have a strong belief in my religion. I, I don't ever push it on anybody and I don't necessarily talk about it a lot, but I have a strong belief in my religious faith. I also have a strong belief in an afterlife and a spirituality. And to me, they, they marry together very well. So I actually think this might be controversial, but I think that Catholics, I kind of have a joke and I always say Catholics are are witches. And I and I kind of mean it in a joking way, but it's sure. they they have the incense and they have ceremonies and rich, you know, that it's very ritualistic. There's a lot of like graphic imagery and there's, you know, even the eating the communion. Doing that that's very very much similar to what witches do with eating the cakes. It's just it's so fascinating. So I always think that they're a little bit more spiritual than they think they are, you know, a lot of the time. And well, I 100% agree. Yeah. And of course, I'm not saying that religion is separate from spiritualism. I just think that this way that we're looking at it, the way you just explained, Catholicism and the afterlife and yeah. psychic land, you know, that those two things, that's what I'm kind of looking at them as. And I think they actually kind of secretly cross over, but you, you do have to keep them separate. 
No, and I think there's a huge crossover, you know, because for those people who are Christian or, and, and I think, you know, there is a lot of similarities between a lot of religions, to be fair. And everybody talks about like a heaven and a hell or whatever they call it. Isn't that just what we talk about when we're talking about, you know, the spirit world? We're talking about people living in another realm. It's the same thing. I don't get into the theological debates, you know, especially with someone who's a priest and has yeah. spent years studying the, the Bible because it's yeah. it's not one that I'm going to win and it's no. not one that I want to win. You know, we yeah. all have our beliefs. And the way I see it, I used to get a lot of stick. I think people just accept me now. But I remember I was interviewed on national radio here in Ireland once and this lady rang in and she said, I don't believe in all of that. You know, and I was like, well, that's fine. And I was like, did you ring in to tell me that? <laughs> you know, yeah. and I said, well, if we're talking about things that we like, I don't like sushi, <laughs> you know, but I do love Indian food. You know, do what you want in life. You don't have to tell people what you do and you don't like or what you do and you don't believe in. Everybody's got their own belief, their own way of living. Isn't that what religion and Christianity is supposed to be about? It's just accepting people for who they are, not what we want them to be. Yeah, absolutely. You know? My wife and I always talk about this. Why is it so hard for humans to stay out of other humans' business? Just if, yeah. like you said, if you don't like sushi, don't fucking eat it. Exactly. Why do you have to tell everybody Thank else you. not to eat it? <laughs> Just I a hundred percent. Yeah. And that's what I said to her live on the radio. And she, she didn't know what to say, you know, <laughs> yes. <But> like, <laughs> mind your business. <laughs> you know, as you know, if you're religious, you know, you're supposed to encourage people with what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And I just don't understand why people can't do that. You yeah. Know? You might say there are a lot of rules within the Catholic Church. You know, there's a lot of rules and regulations. But the real rule is to just let people be happy and to help people where you can. Mm-hmm. That's the real rule. You know, this all this about, you know, you shall not kill, you shall not, shall not commit adultery, you know, you shall not steal. All of these commandments, they're really just about letting other people live the way they want to live. You know, that's all we can do. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm here for that. Yeah. Well, we could go on and on about that. Sure. But most of my guests, probably all of my guests feel that way. And I, I just wish we were a little sweeter to each other. I have practiced multiple religions and at the base of all of them, it's really kind of the same. It really is. So just I find agree. your business. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. I think Steve Jobs did a good job of getting that out. He spent his life and he he went from you know different religions and he traveled the world, you know, to see how different people live. And even he said something similar that it all comes down to the same thing in the end. It's a belief in something more than what we have here now. <laughs> so I want to go back to a couple of things you said. All the sure. ladies in your family were psychics. What was that like? I mean, what did that look like? What were you getting impromptu readings here and there at the dinner table? Or what was that like? <laughs> So I wouldn't have met them all, obviously. I was actually very young when my great-grandmother passed. She would have been the most, I suppose, I don't want to say famous, maybe famous of us all, uh, in that she was well-known. Um, just within Ireland, though, pre-internet days. And at the time, they didn't even have a telephone in the house. So my great-grandmother, from around the 1920s up until when she passed in the 1970s, she was a very well-known reader. So she gave a lot of readings. But obviously, I wouldn't remember her. I was very young when she passed. But my grandmother was also a reader. Now, my grandmother had 10 children. She didn't have time to do readings professionally. <laughs> yeah. <No. laughs> yes, we, we're the real Catholic family. <laughs> 
<laughs> the typical Irish Catholics. Um, so she didn't have time to, you know, do readings for everybody and anybody. So she just did tea leaves for friends. But my great grandmother, she would have had people queuing outside her cottage. So she came from a place called Dundrum in County Tipperary. They had a little cottage there and people used to queue up from six o'clock in the morning outside the cottage to get a reading from her. There was wow. no phones, she had no phone in the house. There was no, you know, appointment system. You just showed up with your silver. And my mother would always say, Nanny, that's what we call grandmothers here, Nanny, that she would say, cross my palm with silver, you know, the old fashioned way. Cross. So they'd bring whatever the coin was at the time. Did you ever hear that saying? Cross my palm with silver. Oh, no, so I haven't. Basically put a silver coin in my hand, you know, for your reading. Um, so whatever the coin was at the time, whether it was half a crown or whatever it was, pre-decimal days. So everybody used to come and they used to pay her for the readings. But a lot of people would be very critical here that they have to pay for readings. And they say, you've got a gift that you shouldn't, ha- you know, you shouldn't charge people for it or whatever. So what I say to that is there always has to be a transfer of energy. Mm-hmm. And this crossing the palm with silver was the old way of putting it. It was the transfer of energy. So, you know, you give something for the time and the energy. And, you know, let's face it, my kids eat just as much as anybody else's kids, you mm-hmm. know, so we have to feed them as well. So it was really my mother's mother, my grandmother, who was the real encouragement, I guess, behind me embracing the spirituality. And when I was very young, I thought that everybody could see what I was seeing. There was no difference. Every kid thinks that, you know, their experience is the same as everybody else's. My grandmother taught me to read tea leaves when I was very young. So if you consider my poor grandmother passed at just 56. So I was only seven years old when she left. So I was already reading tea leaves at that young age, talking to dead people. And even on the day my grandmother passed, and I just remember it so clearly because she had been unwell. She had um, breathing issues because she was a smoker from a very young age. We were in the hospital to visit her and I was sick the same day. I had a kidney infection. So we had to go to our GP, which was just in, you know, it was just the next road over. So by the time we came back, my grandmother had passed but I didn't know what passed away meant. I was just seven. And my mother said she had to go to the nurse's office, no mobile phones. This was 1982. She had to go to the nurse's office to call her brothers and sisters, all nine of them. I was sitting there with my nanny and I thought that she was just asleep. So I was sitting by the bed holding her hand. But at the same time, she was standing behind me playing with my hair because I have naturally curly red hair and my grandmother loved my hair and she was always fiddling with it and plaiting it. So even though she was in the bed and I was holding her hand, she was still behind me playing with my hair and telling me that everything was going to be okay and that she was getting better now and all of this. And that didn't seem strange to me (laughs) at all. (laughs) The kids just accept stuff. They they don't question it the way we do. You know, they Mm -hmm. just take it in. And it was a few days later at her funeral. We were at my grandparents' cottage just outside Thurless. I don't know the way you do it over the States, but we love a good wake in Ireland. You know, it's like a three-day event. (laughs) There's lots of beer and and, and chat. So everyone came back to my grandparents' cottage and I had five big strapping uncles that were like my big brothers. And when I saw one of them, Kevin was his name. And when I saw him with tears in his eyes, I was like, there's something wrong. So I said, why are you crying? And my mother said to me, oh, you know, nanny's gone to live in heaven with holy God. That's the way we used to say it. And I said, 
but she's not. She's over there sitting beside granddad, you know, because I could see her sitting beside my granddad. <laughs> there was probably about 40 or 50 people, you know, in this small little cottage at the time. And you could hear this collective, <gasps> you know, at the time. And everyone just stared at me. So uh, I remember crawling under the table and I stayed under there for the whole rest of the evening. You know, my mother came in and sat with me. <laughs> Bless her. You know, she just said to me at that time, because nobody ever said anything. Like when I said I saw this or this man came into my room or, you know, I used to have a little boy. My best friend when I was growing up was a spirit boy. And every night when my mother put me to bed, this other lady would come into the room with a little boy and she used to tuck him into bed beside me. And she used to sit with us all night. But I didn't know that he wasn't here. You know, I just thought he was my friend that used to come and mind me at nighttime, but he was actually a spirit boy, (laughs) you know. I just had all these things coming and going. It's hard to say how I felt about it because I didn't know it was any different. So I didn't know I was supposed to feel anything about it. Does that make sense? Yes. (laughs) It probably sounds like a cop out, but I didn't know that it was any different. It was only when I became a teenage, well, at that point at my grandmother's funeral when I was seven, obviously, then I realized that it was something different. So I talked less about it. But when I was maybe about 13 or 14, my cousin She and I, we were born just maybe, I think, four months apart. So if I wasn't sleeping at her house, she was sleeping at my house. We were raised very close like sisters. So she said to me one night, she said, Sandy, I have to tell you something. And I thought, my God, there's something wrong. And she said, "Um, I hear people. I hear people talking to me all the time. And I just said, oh, thank God for that, because I can see them. So the two of us then, you know, we kind of great chats about the people that we that we talked to and whatever. I suppose having people in the family that understood and that got it, it was so reassuring. I didn't feel like, I'll be honest with you, maybe when I was 11 or 12, I thought I was schizophrenic, you know, and I thought there might be something wrong with me. But when she said that to me, I was like, okay, this is okay. This is cool. Yeah. I, I really lost my advocate when I lost my grandmother. And being seven, I needed her at that point because that's when spirit were really coming in. If anybody's listening that they have a sister or a brother or, um, you know, son or a daughter, whatever, you know, nieces, nephews, anything that are are saying, you know, that that they see people. It can get scary, you know, for kids, because when you try to push it away and everybody can remember, I think, a point of their life when logic kicked in. That's when kids start to push away what they're seeing and feeling and getting from spirit because they think, I shouldn't be feeling this. Nobody else is feeling this. So everybody pushes it away. All through those years, from seven to about 17, my spirit guides used to come into my bedroom. Okay, I was the baby, so I got the smallest room in the house. So they used to come in and he I remember him shaking the bed. He used to pull the duvet off the bed. He used to knock the clock and the lamp off of my bedside table, you know, and just literally trying to get my attention. Because I was ignoring them and they didn't want to be ignored. Thankfully, I was raised by a single mother, you know, a very strong lady, because I suppose there was just her. I was able to just crawl into bed with her every night. So I'd start out the night, even up to the age of 17, I would start out the night in my own bed. But I would end up crawling into bed with her because if I was in bed with her, spirits generally didn't come in and wreck her room. It would be my room that would be wrecked. (laughs) I suppose it was a different upbringing. It really was because on one side, one side we had the, you know, mass every Sunday, communions, confirmations, you know, as you say, all the rituals of the, the, the Catholic Church. And on the other side, I could see dead people. It was different and it was fun at times. And sometimes, you know, I can remember as a child just coming out with stuff. That sometimes people were like, how did she know that? Mm -hmm. Or I'd say something and then be something that would maybe happen two or three days in advance. 
it was really strange. Well, there's so many things that you said that I want to talk about. So first, the schizophrenia, that's a really important note that you made, because I think so many of my guests and people that I've talked to and work with, they had that similar feeling. And so if there are any listeners who are feeling batshit or something, you know, it, it might it might actually be that you have a gift. So don't dismiss that. Like you said, I think that's so important. I had to go back to the spirit boy that was your BFF. So yeah, did you tell your your mom about that? Did you have a conversation or were you afraid to talk about it with her? Oh, no, I always talked about it and she always knew. But because I suppose she'd grown up, you know, with her mother and grandmother seeing spirit all the time. When I used to say something like that, you know, she just accepted. She never questioned it. You know, she never told me, oh, that's ridiculous or, you know, that's not possible because she knew it was possible. So, you know, she just used to let me talk about it. And one thing that I tell people now, which was actually my mother's own advice, was when I talk about, you know, having seen somebody or the man that showed me this or the woman that was telling me that, she never used to question me too much because if you question a child too much, they get defensive. Mm -hmm. So what she used to do was she'd always make sure to put up pictures around the house of, you know, like maybe her grandmother or, you know, other family members. And, you know, over the days afterwards, then I'd I'd point to one and I'd go, oh, that's the lady that told me this or that's the man that showed me that. So she always used to do it in kind of a clever way, Mm -hmm. because one thing that I notice a lot of people say to me now is that, you know, you're putting those ideas in your children's heads. I remember being accused once of raising my sons on a diet of nonsense. <laughs> so somebody said to me once, my answer, of course, was no spaghetti bolognese, pork chops, shepherd's pie. <laughs> no nonsense on the menu in my house. <laughs> but um, So my mother was always very careful not to be putting ideas in my head. She just mm. let me take it if I wanted to take it, leave it if I wanted to leave it. She was really understanding. Was your mother psychic as well? Or had was it that she was just so busy she didn't have time to cultivate that? Yeah, pretty much. If I take a step back, everybody's psychic and everybody's mediumistic. Yeah, Preach. it's an ability. <laughs> yeah. So I always say to people, it's an ability. We all have it. The same ways we all have the ability to speak German, Italian, whatever we want to speak. We just need to learn how to understand the language. So when we do circles, when we do teaching, It's just learning to bring out that communication in us. Okay, so, yes, of course she is. But yeah, she was a single mother to me and my sister. She worked three and four different jobs. People would call us latchkey kids. Mm -hmm. God bless my mother. But um, she did her very best. And, you know, I I hope that uh, we haven't let her down in any way. I'm so proud of her. My poor ma'am. She's battling cancer at the moment. So if everybody could light a candle or keep my mother in their prayers, I'd really appreciate that. She's just the best. You know, she really, really is. And even with raising both of us, this was the time, I suppose, when everything started to really come back. Because as I said to you, after my grandmother's funeral, I started to push everything away. And when I was 14, my granddad was very ill. He had cancer also, and he came to live with us. Mm -hmm. So on top of raising two girls on her own, working three and four different jobs, she also had my granddad to look after, (laughs) you know, just in case she had any free time at all. So my poor granddad. And I still call my granddad the love of my life because he was the father figure. He was the guy that was there for us. Yeah, he was just amazing. So he came and lived with us and we all had to do our bit. I remember sitting with my granddad and feeding him, you know, and looking out for him and everything. Actually, the day he passed, I spent eight hours sitting with him because my mother was at work and we knew he didn't have long left and we didn't want him to be on his own. So I spent, I was only 14, but I spent eight hours sitting with him. 
I have this firm belief that my granddad waited until I left the room later that evening because my uncle Kevin, my mother's brother, was coming up from Limerick and my mother was coming home from work. So they were arriving that evening. When they arrived, when my mother came home and my uncle arrived that evening and I went upstairs, that's when my granddad passed. He waited until I I was gone because he didn't want to pass in front of me. And I really believe that. Because I told you, obviously, my grandmother had passed seven years before him. So he had been on his own, but he was also the eldest of his family. He had six brothers and one sister. Having been unresponsive for the best part of three days before he left, he sat bolt upright in the bed. He put his hand out in front of him and he said, wait for me, daddy, I'm coming. And then he was gone. He fell down to the bed and my mother said he was gone before he he hit the bed. And I was upstairs and I heard my mother cry out and I jumped up and I looked out the window and I saw my grandmother at the gate to our house and my granddad walked out and he met her at the gate. And I saw the two of them and they waved up at me and they walked away. Dang. You said that everybody's psychic, which I agree, but you had a more open natural ability you know, I didn't see, to my knowledge, dead people when I was a kid, although there is some very weird shit that did happen, not particularly (laughs) that. But why do you think, do you think just because it was so strong in your family lineage that, that you were just more open to it without any practice when you were a kid? I don't think so. I I don't believe that I was any more open to it. I believe that every child holds on to their connection with the spirit world when they arrive here until their logical mind kicks in, which happens somewhere around the age of six or seven. Mm -hmm. And that's when they stop. But um, it did happen, you know, obviously for me, my grandmother's funeral and everything, it all happened around the same time, but it didn't stop me seeing it. I don't know why I knew that I wasn't imagining it. But I didn't want to see it because I didn't want to be different. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah. yeah. So I couldn't completely fight it and completely get rid of it. But I don't believe that I have any more of an ability than anybody else. I promise you, I'm not talented or gifted at anything. I will never make it on the X factor. (laughs) You know, I just don't have those gifts or abilities. I would agree that because there was that understanding and acceptance within the family, that when I said something or when I just kind of knew things, that this was, it was okay. It, it was natural. It was normal. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I feel think... like it makes sense in my head. And then when I say it, it doesn't <laughs> sound sensible at all. Well, I get what you're saying. I think what I'm getting at too is it sounds like you were being haunted almost by a poltergeist who was messing your room up every <laughs> night or quite frequently trying to get your attention. And mm. I guess what I'm trying to get at is, do you think it was because this was your fate or your destiny to do this work? Because most people don't have somebody pushing that hard in that way, to my knowledge, or maybe they just don't talk about it. I'm not sure. But most people, even that I interview, they don't have something that strong. So do you think it was because they were like, you got to get started. You have shit to do. Maybe. I suppose I've never really thought that much about it because, you know, when something is in your life, you just accept it. Yeah. But I do know that spirit, they know who's open to it. They know when is the right time. They know who will be afraid and who won't be afraid. Boom. There it is. Let me give you a little example. Yeah. So let me give you a little example. A few years ago, I was doing a house party. So there was a gathering, family were having a gathering. So they asked me, would I come up 
and they gave me a room and I was doing readings in, in there. Yeah. So in Dublin, there's rows and rows of terraced houses in the, the inner city. So this was maybe a row of about 15 or 20 houses. And the one that I was in was bang smack in the middle. So by the time I'd done two or maybe three of the readings that I was going to do, I had a queue outside the door because while I was reading for these people, it's almost like spirit would go, there's somebody in number six and she can (laughs) she can see us, you know. So I kept having these people popping in from all over the place. And so by the end of the day, like I had people coming up and going, you were reading for Mary earlier on. And my husband came through or my son came through or whatever. Do you think you could get him back for me? You know, Mm -hmm. so and spirit are like that. Once they know that there's someone there, I call it the whoopee effect. Whoopi Goldberg, if you've ever seen the film. (laughs) ghost yeah once she sees one spirit they all start to come in mm-hmm. say, ah she can see us so it's a bit like that once they know that you're open to them they're going to push they will and I'm surprised that you haven't met more people that say that because my biggest bugbear is that I really get a full night's sleep because I always say to people the easiest time and this is why so many of us dream and get messages at night time because it's the easiest time for spirit to connect with us mm-hmm. because everybody's day from the minute you hit the ground you have a million things on your to-do list mm-hmm. you know so you don't sit down and give yourself five minutes to rest but when you're lying down in bed and you're dozing off to sleep or you're asleep then your mind is open your energy is free from for them to come in and give you messages so you know I'd often get messages you know, at nighttime for maybe somebody that's coming for a reading the following morning or something they forgot to say to somebody when they had a reading with me, maybe that day day or the day before. I often have to sit up and I say to people because they say to me, I don't want to do it. I want to get a full night's sleep. I don't want spirit to be, you know, in my space all the time. Tell them, tell them that when it's dark outside the window, that's your time, that you still have a physical body. You still need to rest because they forget when they go to spirit, they forget that we have this physicality. Mm-hmm. that needs to rest and recuperate. And once you remind them, I found that they're very good. If you do that, then you have to give them time the following day. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if I, I say to them, you know what, I'm really tired. I need to go to sleep now. I have to give them when I get up the following morning, either before or after breakfast, I'll sit down and give them 20 or 30 minutes to spit it all out and tell me what they need to tell me, you know, because otherwise I ain't getting the night's sleep the next night. <laughs> You know, they won't go away because I didn't fulfill my side of the promise. So give spirit time during the day. If you're feeling that spirits are trying to tell you something, if you're feeling that there's someone around trying to give you something, they're not strong enough to literally hold you by the shoulders and say, you know, stop cooking the dinner. I want to talk to you now. You need to clear some space in your energy. And that's why so many mediums talk a lot about meditation. I dread the word meditation. I'm terrible <laughs> to meditate. I fall asleep when I'm meditating. <laughs> I just don't get it at all. <laughs> you're, you're nodding. You're agreeing with me. Well, I've done a lot of meditation, but I, I do tend to because the way that my life is right now, for sure, I do end up falling asleep pretty much every time. Yeah. yeah. And it is It's really hard in the, the lives that we live to manage that in your everyday life. But you don't have to sit still. You know, now I can only talk about meditating for spirit connection. Okay. Because I don't know anything about any other kind of meditation and there's loads of different kinds of meditation. But if you're trying to clear energy for spirit, you know, it depends what relaxes you. It could just be five minutes while you're brushing your teeth in the morning. You could be out walking the dog. You could be doing the dishes after dinner. You know, anything that's repetitive that allows you to allow your mind to drift 
that's meditating for spirit connection because you're clearing the energy. If I'm in my mind, you know, I have a 14-year-old, so take a typical school morning, you know, the first thing I wake up, <laughs> like everybody, is it the weekend or do I have to get out of bed, you know? And from <laughs> the minute your feet hit the floor, you're like, okay, did I put out his uniform the night before? Do I have something to give him for his school lunch? All these different things. Did I take something out of the freezer last night for today's dinner? You know, there's a million different things. So while you're thinking of all those, there's no room for spirit to come and talk to you. You know, your mind is too full. So even just, and I say to people, you know, 15 minutes twice a week is enough time. It's enough. If spirit have something that they want to tell you, then it's enough. So you said something about they're not strong enough to grab your shoulders while you're doing the dishes or whatever and say, (laughs) listen, lady, pay attention to me. But some people have talked about and and even you, you said that like one of the energies was able to actually kind of move stuff in your room. Oh. I guess what I'm getting at, is there ever a negative entity that you come in contact with? And if there have been, how do you deal with them? Personally, I don't believe in negative energy, demons, poltergeists, all that kind of stuff. And this is the, the way that I explain it. Okay. So I'm touching wood while I say this, but if I had a car crash today, God forbid, and I lost a leg. Okay. So I would spend the rest of my life, maybe with an artificial leg or with crutches or whatever it might be. And someday then I will cross over to the spirit world. Would you then imagine me hopping around the spirit world with one leg for the rest of eternity? I hope not. No. No. (laughs) Why? Because that's a physical ailment Mm -hmm. and I don't have the physical body. Okay. But while I was here, I was constrained by this physical body. We could say the same thing about Ted Bundy, the serial killer. Mm. Okay. He arrived here as a pure soul, just like the rest of us, but he also was confined by the restrictions of his physical body, but his disability was in the mind. Okay. He had some mental disability. Okay. But when he passed and he returned to the spirit world, I have no doubt, but that he had you know, an epiphany at that moment. And he was like, you know, was that really me? Did I really do this? Because he's no longer the evil person with that evil mind. Now, yes, does he have to atone for what he did? Absolutely. But that's not who his soul or his spirit is. You know, ultimately, we are all good spirits. And, you know, I love a good paranormal investigation just as much (laughs) as the other person. Okay, I do. And I've done several. But when we pick up energy, you know, like we talk about ghosts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's like a footprint. Okay. So when we walk somewhere, we leave a footprint, but it's just an energy footprint that they have left there. So it's like the energy of what happened there. So there's a castle actually not far from where I live called Tomana Castle. And I did an investigation there a few years back. And, you know, one of the first things that I picked up on was in one of the bedrooms there was a little boy. So as you came in the door to the bedroom, the, the, the bed was on your left. So you had to walk around the bed to get to the other side of the room. And he was crouched in the corner over there, you know, between the bed and the wall crying. And I could see him as clear as day, you know, and I could definitely feel the energy. So we were there all night. We went through lots of different things. And in the morning, we met the custodian and we went through everything, you know, that, that we'd experienced throughout the night. And yes, years ago, well, all of the castles would have been built in wood back in the day. They all burnt down, of course, yeah. because they used candles. <laughs> and then they were rebuilt in stone. And actually that place had burnt and the little boy's remains were found in that corner. 
he couldn't get out of the room. And that's where his remains were found. But he wasn't there. He doesn't spend eternity in that room crying and, and crying for his mom and dad. The energy of what happened will always be the mm. footprint. It, like if an elephant had cracked the floorboard in there, it would always be there. So it's the same. That little boy's energy is always there. Does that make sense? Yes. So in the paranormal shows on TV, you know, there's a distinction between an energetic imprint, which you were just talking about, and an intelligent spirit. And sometimes they say things like, oh, this is an evil entity and it's definitely intelligent. And what you're saying is that from your perspective, it's not intelligent. It's just some kind of like record almost. Memory. Yeah, that's that sort of just keeps playing. And it, and to whoever's picking that up, they might think that that's intelligent, but it's really just that imprint and their soul is not there anymore. Definitely not there anymore. No. Wouldn't you want to be a fool to hang around on this earth if you got the opportunity to go to paradise? Girl, you know, I, you really I am would. out. <laughs> Get me the fuck and out. I imagine <laughs> We're not the only ones, you know, that feel like that. <laughs> no. So, you know, if if someone has been troubled in this life, why would they want to hang around here? I, I want to say that I'm not going to belittle anybody's experience to say that it's not right. Just because I haven't had an experience, I can't say that somebody else hasn't. But I can only talk about my experience and, you know, the ones that have been passed down to me through my family. Never have had any experience like that. So I'm open. I'm open to anything. But even in any of the paranormal ones that I have done, I've never come across anything. Nothing like demonic and, or anything. I mean, demonic no. is a word I don't like to use a lot, but, you know, nothing yeah. dark or whatever. No. And I even did an investigation down in a place called Loftus Hall, which is right on the coast by the Atlantic Sea. This is where the devil was supposed to have appeared. There's a whole story around it. But there was this handsome stranger who was courting the daughter that lived in the house. And when they were playing cards one night and she dropped one of the cards when she went down to pick it up, she saw that he actually had hoofs and not feet. <laughs> and it was apparently the devil. <laughs> I know. There's actually some horror movie that's on Netflix. It's actually filmed in this house. He was so enraged that he actually, he left, but he left through the roof. And there's a big glass dome on the roof of the house where he had broken through the ceiling to leave. Hmm. So th there's a whole long story connected with this. But my point was, I suppose, that even when I'm in those places, I still don't pick up negative energy, hmm. you know, and people have had horrific deaths in this house, which has all been attributed back to the history of the devil being there to visit. But I've still never picked up. Now, I have to say I don't believe in coincidence. I always say I don't believe in coincidence, but I've never picked up a negative energy. The worst energy that I picked up, even in that Loftus Hall, was the energy of the man that used to own it back in the 70s, because he was a drunkard who used to beat his wife. And I didn't know this. And when they put me into a room to say, you know, what can you pick up in there? And I said, well, there's the most rudest, obnoxious man in there. I said, I think he's been drinking. And apparently, yes, he was an alcoholic. He used to beat his wife. That was the worst energy that I've ever connected with. It was just his, because it was his bedroom. His echo. Yeah. You know, it's his bedroom. That's where he used to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. So I could pick up his energy in there. So I, I'd imagine that he used to go up there sulking when he was drunk, you know, after an argument with his wife. Sounds like a know. real, real nice guy. <laughs> yeah. Really nice guy. <laughs> Okay, let's go back to 17 years old, right? So from seven to 17, you are like pushing it away because grandma yes. passed and you just don't, you want to fit in. You don't know what's going on. You still have your friend yeah. and then you have your cousin who who can hear them and you can see Cheers. them. With, 
Yeah, which is really nice yeah. that you have like a confidant. So when did the spirit guides finally penetrate through the veil and get to you and you said, okay, fine, I'm going to listen and I'm not going to hide from this anymore? So I had been really angry with them. After my granddad died, my uncle Kevin that I mentioned before was killed in a motorcycle accident 10 weeks after my granddad passed. So I lost, we had a double whammy that summer. Ugh. And I was really angry because I thought, you know, you want me to, to give messages for you and you can't even let Kevin stay. You know, I was really angry. So that happened when I was 15. When I was 17, I was living in Germany, beautiful area of Germany. And the Weinstrasse, they call it, you know, where they, all the vineyards where, where they make all the, the German wine is beautiful. And I was out for a run. It was the middle of the afternoon. It was about maybe three o'clock. And um, it was a really quiet area, it, like if you can imagine a small little um, German village and, you know, there was nothing around for miles and miles except vineyards. So I was running along and I had a beautiful 1990s personal stereo, which you're probably way too young to remember. It had a beautiful <laughs> orange earphones on. And I was listening to Simon and Garfunkel. Next thing I heard this voice shout at me, run. And I thought, you know, being a typical teenager, I thought, OK, there's someone behind me, you know, taking the Michael. So I looked around and there was nobody there, you know. So I thought, that's really strange. So anyway, I ran on for another little bit and I heard it again. I heard run. And I said, somebody's definitely taken, no, you know, the piss here. And I looked around ready to say, I am effing running, you know, but there was nobody there. And at that moment, a car passed. Now, literally, the, no cars went down this road. It was just so quiet, except for when people were going to and coming from work. It was quieter than that. And uh, this car passed, right? And I can still see it. it, it you know when something happens in slow motion? Mm -hmm. It was a small little ha black hatchback and there was five guys in this car. And the music was so loud, you, you know, it's like doof, 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 doof as the car was going past. And they looked at me and I looked at them. And I turned to go running again and I heard run like F run as fast as you can. And I thought, what's going on? So I turned and I ran into the vineyard and I jumped in. I ran about halfway down the field and I jumped in between two, I know what you call them, vines, two bushes. I waited and I thought, oh my God, I'm so glad nobody can see me because this is the most stupid thing that I have ever done. <laughs> the car came back. This car came back and five guys got out of this car. Oh, and shit. no joking, all I could hear was katong, katong, you know, my heart was going. And they spent about 20 minutes. Some of them went to the other side of the road. Some of them were at the side of the road that I was at. And they were searching through the fields looking for me. And one guy was about three meters from where I was hiding. And I was just about getting ready to run when one of them called them back. He said, you know, I don't know. I, I was actually couldn't even hear them enough to make out in German what he was saying. But he called them all back to the car and they got in the car and they took off. And I waited another 20 minutes before I moved. And I ran home the back way through the fields. But I knew that I was saved. Someone had warned me to run, you know, mm -hmm. and I had heeded the advice for the first time in seven years. I heeded something that they had said to me and it worked out in my favor. You know, it was only years later. I don't know would you have heard of this. I can't remember the girl's name, but I read a story in a magazine years later about um, a young girl in the States who had something similar happen to her. She took a lift from a truck driver. And when they stopped for something to eat and she went to use the bathroom, uh, she heard a voice telling her to climb out the window and run. And she ignored it. And this guy kept her for eight years <gasps> before she managed to escape. 
Yeah. And she said every day she thought about that voice that she didn't listen to. When you're 17, you don't necessarily think of what might happen. But that, you know, when I read that, it dawned on me of what could have happened to me that day. But anyway, so I started to listen to spirit after that. I thought, well, you know, you've kind of done me a favor. (laughs) Yeah. You were like, okay, (laughs) I'm I'm definitely listening now. (laughs) I moved from Germany to London for a while and just having my own little interactions with spirit, nothing massive. And then I moved back to Ireland. And when you're comfortable in yourself, that's when you're more likely to get messages or get your intuition like when you're stressed when you're nervous you know when you're grieving these are all times when your energy is taken in a different direction but when you're at the most comfortable with yourself and where you want to be which for me was Ireland then it all hit me like a train like really and truly you know I I was at work and I was you know hearing things about the people sitting beside me or in a shop doing shopping and you know get seeing people with them so it all kind of hit me then at that point like a, a steam train if you like but I still never thought about doing it as a job it wasn't something that you do as a job it wasn't a career choice <laughs> so it all happened by accident. I was probably in my late 20s and I went to see a medium on stage in a theatre in our town. And I guess there was a lady sitting in front of me for the show. And when it came to the interval, you know, all through the first half of the show, I could feel her anxiety. And it came to the interval and I just knew that she was going to leave. Right. And as she turned to her husband to say something, I leaned over and tapped her on the shoulder. And have you ever done something and your mind is going, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But your body's doing it anyway. Uh, All the fucking time. (laughs) And I just couldn't stop myself. And I just said, it just came out of my mouth. And I said, don't go because your son is here. But he he can feel how nervous you are. So he won't leave your side to go on stage and talk to the lady on stage. But he's here. And I started to tell her this thing and this thing and this thing. And, you know, I gave her a reading basically in the interval. This is my first reading. And I didn't even think of it like that. I was just telling her what I felt. And she stood up and she gave me a big hug. And she said to me, she said, darling, she said, he's actually our grandson, but we raised him from a baby. She said, so effectively he was our son. And she said, you don't know how much this means to me. So I said, I'm just glad I said that he's here for you. I said, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. So anyway, the lady came back on stage the second half of the show. At the end of the show, you know, when everybody applauds and then when the applause stops, there's like a second of silence. Nobody knows what to do. In that second of silence, this lady stood up and she said, hello, everybody. She said, never mind that woman on stage. She said, see this girl behind me. She said, this is who you want to go to for a reading. I'm a redhead and I have fair Irish skin and I could feel the red rising up my <laughs> neck into my face. And I was going, what are you saying? <laughs> so she was telling everybody and I could see her vo- her mouth move, but I couldn't hear her voice. You know, I was in shock. <laughs> you were blacked out. Everybody was queuing up asking me for my mobile number. And uh, within 20 minutes, I had three months worth of bookings. Oh, it just happened. My mm-hmm. God. Yeah. Wow. And that's how it happened. And I've never looked back. It just happened. It just all of a sudden happened. That's incredible. But I didn't leave my job. I was working in a university and I didn't leave my job because it, in my mind, this still wasn't a career choice. You know, it wasn't something Mm -hmm. that you did for a living. You know, you worked nine to five and you went to mass on a Sunday. It's like a side hustle, if you like. But, you know, it grew and it, it just grew all by word of mouth. 
someone would tell someone that they got a reading from me and so on and so forth. So before I knew it, I was on stage in New York City and without any planning or foresight or, you know, plan of where this was going, it just took over. I cut down work to four days a week. Then I cut down work to three days a week. And then I took a career break and I just never went back. It just grew from there. Wow. Tell me what a reading is like for people, because you mentioned tea leaves. You mentioned that you work with some guides that you have now. I imagine that you've cultivated a deeper relationship with them. Mm -hmm. And then you also actually are able to communicate with people who have passed. So what does a reading look like for someone who specifically wants to talk to someone who's passed versus somebody who just wants a psychic reading? get people to book what they're looking for, to think about what they want to read for. Because I'm always afraid that someone will, you know, want advice about the future and come for a medium reading and talk to their granny or something. And their granny will give them an opinion and they'll run with that. Mm -hmm. Whereas granny's only giving you her opinion, you know, she's not telling you what's gospel. So I ask people to book the reading that they want, whether it's psychic or whether it's mediumship. And I know that your listeners will know the difference. I describe it in short, a psychic reads the energy of the living and a medium reads the energy of the dead. And it's that Mm -hmm. simple. You know, I always try and keep it very, I suppose, informal. I don't ask anything of anybody just to come with their attention. And I'll chat for a few minutes about the weather or something just to get people to relax. You know, when you can feel that someone is anxious or nervous Mm -hmm. or whatever. So I'll just chat with them. You know, the weather is a great topic of conversation in Ireland because it's so changeable. So, you know, just kind of, you know, ease them into it and then take it from there and just see what I'm feeling. With the psychic side, I always do somebody's numerology. Okay, I'm a big believer in numerology. So I'll use the numerology as well as the tarot cards. So it's it's a an in-depth, I'd like to call it an experience, but I think you'd have to ask the customers about that. But my passion would always be the mediumship. I just feel that that's where my heart lies, because I think, you know, in my opinion, that knowing that there's more, we can all accept that life is within our control. Sometimes people want to know the way things are going to turn out and all that kind of stuff. The psychic reading, that's fine. And I'm happy to do it. But, you know, people know that they're in control. What people don't know is that there's more for them after this life, especially someone who's had a hard life, you know, and they're thinking, is this all, you know, that I'm here for? Like, what is the purpose of this? Mm-hmm. You know, to show somebody that there is a greater purpose, that really is my passion. You know, because I know that there are people who have terrible things happen to them in life and have had terrible experiences. It may not be necessarily what they want to hear to know that this was a lesson that they had to learn in their lifetime. But I hope that in some way that, you know, by showing them that they will meet their loved ones again and that they are loved and that there is purpose, that it can help somebody to go on and to move Mm. forward. Yeah, super powerful. Some of the psychic readings that I've had have absolutely changed my life. So it's absolutely worth it. It's no wonder that that's where your heart is, you said, because you you were so naturally attuned to that at such a young age. Well, I will tell you, I am saving my pennies to book a mediumship reading with Sandy, for sure. I think it would be really awesome to talk with the dead grandmas in my life, the um, golden girls, as I like to call them. And you can save your pennies and do the same dang thing. All you have to do is go to sandyburn.com. 
That's S-A-N-D-I-E-B-Y-R-N-E.com. And of course, that'll always be in the show notes per usual. And Sandy also has a bunch of free webinars on her website. She has a podcast called Life After Life, which you should definitely check out. And she has a Patreon if you want to be involved a little bit more actively in her community. Her website is chock full of information. She's got videos on there to explain sort of what the difference is between a psychic reading and a mediumship reading. Pretty much all the information you need is going to be on her website And if you do reach out to her and get a reading, let me know. I'd love to hear how it went, who you got to talk to if you ended up doing the mediumship versus the psychic reading. And if you did the psychic reading, I'd like to hear too, just to know more about numerology and how that affected you in that reading, because it was pretty intense when she did my mini reading. But I'll save that for next time. Like I said in the intro, part two of this interview will be available next week, same time, Woo Wednesdays, 2 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And that'll be the part part where I get a reading from Sandy and it's not a mediumship reading, which I would love, but I think that would be a little too much for her to do a shorter version of. So she does do the numerology and she goes into sort of what's going on with me in the next year or so. And it's pretty fucking fascinating. Like it it definitely gave me pause multiple times. So check that out next week. All right. And please drink more water. Go to the bathroom when you have to pee. Don't push too hard when you poop. I heard that it gives you hemorrhoids. Love you. Bye. Thank you for following The Woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow The Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right, 